Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast, presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Terry Uctana, and today we'll be looking deeply into the contracts we have with our parents, what our rights and responsibilities are concerning them, and what we can do and should do when things go wrong. I'm frequently asked to read information about people's parents, about why they did things or didn't do things, why they set certain things in motion, why they hold certain beliefs, and so on. But quite often, the most pertinent question is, what is my duty or responsibility to them now? To be clear, people rarely ask about their parents if they have a happy, healthy childhood, They have many questions around the roots of their relationships with these souls, like, have they had past relationships with them, and if so, how many and what kind, or about why this person they love died, when, and how they did, but they don't have a need to figure out something which was or is a good part of their life. It wasn't broke, so they aren't looking to fix it, as it were. Questions about parents come from those who had difficult or abusive childhoods. Parents who were incapable or unable to effectively parent. Absent parents, or those who are clearly toxic. These come in two basic varieties. I really want to have a good relationship with this person, and I've done laundry list of healing, spiritual practices, and boundary setting. But things are still not good, so what do I do? Or... I'm trying to honor my parents by making sure their needs are met while at the same time trying to have a healthy life, but it's not working, so what do I do? The first thing I do in this situation is discuss the nature of honor thy father and mother. In many cultures, this has been twisted into a form of emotional slavery, where we must do everything our parents want and expect of us no matter how damaging to us, others, or the world around us. However, honoring is not the same as obeying. Honoring someone or something is primarily about accepting what they are. If we're to honor the scorpion, then we shouldn't try to hug it. This is not what it wants, and will provoke a sting which is both injurious to us and to it. If we're to honor our parents, then we need to see them for who they really are, both as individuals and also as our parents. This doesn't mean learning all the reasons why our parents are who they are, taking on their narrative as our own, or excusing their behaviors because of circumstances or experience. Our parents' lives were no more predetermined than our own. Free will is granted to all of us, including parents. Which means, just like us, they set goals for what they wish to achieve in their lives. This includes being parents and As parents, they made agreements to provide their child, us, with a variety of things and experiences, and then these things get implemented in the embodied world. And they will fail spectacularly in a variety of ways from small to amazingly large. Just as in our lives, we will succeed and exceed our expectations in some things while failing to some degree in a host of others, So they, as unique individuals and as parents, will succeed and fail concerning everything they agreed to do and be for us. When I look at the records concerning this, I often see clients knew there was a chance for things to go wrong, for 
things with their parents to not go as well as could be hoped, and this gets factored into the planning as a possibility. In those cases, I'd agree the person chose the experience or at least accepted that the events might occur and were an acceptable outcome. I also see where people knew the parents wouldn't be anything less than a bit awful, and they agreed to this, not out of a need to rid themselves of karma or as some kind of punishment, but as a means to grow strong and overcome. They use it as a means to spur themselves to action, to cause themselves to rebel and strive in areas they might not otherwise do, to challenge themselves to rise above it, and to create a deep well of empathy for others. Many healers go this route as it spurs their healing abilities. In other cases, I see where the parents were expected to behave in the range of mediocre, being neither excellent nor horrifying, but instead make choices which lead them into abusive, horrendous acts which were not planned and cause difficult-to-overcome damage which takes the priority over any other plans for the child's adult life. In these cases, I can validate the person's experience of thus being wrong, and it should not have happened. This is one of the negative effects of free will and the nature of parent-child relationships. The effects can be healed if the client is willing to do so, and it usually helps to know the events they survived were not planned, nor acceptable, nor karmically induced. Parents are souls living embodied lives, and as such have free will. They're learning lessons in the midst of becoming themselves just as their children are, and as such make mistakes, questionable choices, and go off script as much as they follow through, excel, and exceed our expectations. Many of my clients ask me to look at their relationship to one or both of their parents. They're specifically interested in whether a certain type of behavior was something they agreed to. Sometimes it is, such as when a parent is contentious and we're meant to learn from the difficulty, or when we're meant to be a lesson for them. Sometimes we agree to a parental choice because who we are and the life we intend to live gives our parent millions of opportunities to learn, to make better choices, to evolve in one way or another. However, in many cases, we didn't. It's heartbreakingly common for me to see people who have survived emotional, mental, and or physical abuse, molestation, alcoholic or addictive rages, and physical attacks, and much more. Some were tortured throughout their childhood and spend a lifetime healing and resolving the issues this leaves behind. When I look at these situations, I can see in the pre-planning this is not what the soul agreed to participate in. What is described is usually much milder than this, possibly difficult, bleak, or challenging, but not devastating in the way they experienced. Unfortunately, once they were fully embodied, something occurs for the parent or parents, which causes them to escalate their behaviors or take a turn down a dark path, or which brings them to a situation where they make choices that then transforms the child's life from one of learning to one of surviving. So, are we responsible for who our parents were and the things they did because we chose them? No. As human beings living an embodied life, they have and had free will and make or made choices in every moment which caused them to act as they did, just like you do now. 
However, it's important we honor them for who they have been and are now, rather than working to try to make them something else. We can't make people different than they are, nor will pretending they're different do anything to a situation other than cause harm. So, how can we have a healthy relationship with toxic parents? We can't. What we can do is create and live with healthy boundaries. Honoring toxic parents means honoring the fact interactions with them are toxic and harmful to us. I tend to think of this in terms of plutonium. It's a key ingredient in making nuclear power. It's a naturally occurring element and part of the world we live in. However, it's deadly to humans if handled directly in any significant amount. So to work with it, we wear special equipment, keep it housed in as safe an environment as possible, and try to isolate it from situations where it could cause damage with varying levels of success. This isn't a negative judgment on plutonium, nor meant to make it feel bad, but honoring the reality of the situation by setting good boundaries and preventing negative interactions. In other words, if you wouldn't hug plutonium close to you or allow it to play with your children and grandchildren, then you shouldn't do so with toxic parents. Looking at this from the other direction, you are one of the most important things your parents have ever manifested into the world. Your happiness, health, success, and well-being directly reflect on them and their efforts. If you allow yourself to be held back, negatively impacted, or abused, even by them, then you're dishonoring all they have, or should have, done to launch you into the world. To honor them best may mean pushing back on their demands, limiting your interactions with them, doing things they're opposed to, or learning to regularly say no. But are we contractually obligated to be connected with our parents? Are we going to mess something up, hurt them, or miss out on a lesson if we don't do what they want and need us to do or be? Maybe, but probably not. The truth is, if we're questioning our contract with a parent or parents, then we already know we've completed things. We're just needing validation that we know what we know. However, it's good to understand how contracts work because there is quite a bit of confusion about this in spiritual community. Having experience of contracts here in physical life, people tend to think contracts are the same in the Akashics. They think contracts between souls are just as rigid and enforced, but in actuality, not so much. Akashic contracts between beings are descriptive, not prescriptive. This is because of free will, which is the key to so much in life, embodied and otherwise. We have free will, and use it willy-nilly every moment of the day. Circumstances may dictate this or that aspect of things, but we always have choices on what we do in those circumstances. In an environment such as the Akashics, where free will isn't just a concept, it's a law of physics, where there is structure but no government or authorities or need for society, quote-unquote, in a place where everyone lives telepathically and empathically, meaning they feel what other people are being, hear what people are becoming as if it's their own becoming, what use is a prescriptive contract? To force someone to do something is a violence which would radiate out through all beings causing everyone damage and suffering. Prescriptive contracts are in the end about forcing people to behave in a certain way. So contracts between souls are quite the opposite. 
They're descriptive. Another reason they're descriptive is no embodied life is scripted. We aren't actors filling roles and following along proclaiming dialogue which is already written. We aren't puppets being manipulated. We are free-acting, mistake-riddled, miraculous generators of magic and mayhem. We partake as much in chaos as we do of harmony, and hence the universe grows and expands. Without chaos, we don't move forward. Without harmony, we don't want to. All of which is a hugely known thing to souls. Hard to miss, actually. It's one of the many pluses to becoming embodied, the potential and possibility of it all. Just think, the concept of a personal computer was in the Akashic Library long before they were invented here. But the events which led two guys in a garage to put the concept together in just the way they did, which later led to not one, not three, not 20 different types of computers, but two, apples and windows, which led to smartphones and pads and hybrid touchscreen laptops, computer watches and Google glasses, wasn't there until they lived it. How these things are coming to be is being fashioned through the choices and actions of beings who are free-willing. The beauty and horror of the tapestry we're creating is something completely new, amazing, fascinating, and only vaguely foreseen in generalities as things unfold. So like planning for an extended stay in a foreign country, souls planning to embody in this rapidly moving and changing world prepare for what they intend to do, prepare for just-in-case events, bringing what they absolutely have to in worst-case scenarios, and then try to plan for the things they can't even imagine. All of this planning includes creating contracts. There are the ones we know we're going to need, and which we try to lay out in some detail, like the one between us and each of our parents, biological and otherwise, or the ones between us and our siblings, plus any extended family. There are those we know ahead of time, like best friends, soul group members, our proposed children, and even some significant other or life partner selections. Each of these contracts is descriptive, expressing what each side intends to do. I liken them to huge if-then statements. Like with children, if I have a child, if the parameters in which I'm having a child meet the needs of the other soul, and if the soul is prepared and still willing to enter into an embodied life when I'm intending to create a child, then we will move forward as parent and child, etc., etc. If at any point along the way a portion of this really long if statement is not met, the contract will still exist, but not be activated, meaning it will remain potential and not be acted on. This shows up often in contracts between adult children and their parents. People who had difficult, dysfunctional, damaging childhoods often want to know why in all the holy hells they would choose to put themselves through such, insert negative term here. Often in looking at what actually occurred and comparing it with the contract and the pre-planning notes for the lifetime, it's very clear what was intended is not what occurred. In other words, the adult child didn't sign up for what actually occurred at all. Free will isn't just about freedom. It's freedom to do whatever you want. This means avoiding the hard things, indulging in bad things, getting swallowed up in bad behavior as much as taking the opportunity to walk away from it. Soul contracts don't enforce, they report. Unfortunately, 
What they have to tell isn't always nice, but we always have the ability to write the end of the story. As soul contracts are not prescriptive, but descriptive, we're free to end or modify them at any time. Souls are not victim to contracts they've agreed to. With free will, we can end contracts which no longer serve us. Most people struggle not with this concept, but the nature of the contract they're in and what it means for them. What I found over the decades is those who struggle hardest with contracts they feel abused by are the least willing to end them because their identity is deeply embedded in the struggle itself. Like an animal which has been caged its entire life, being confronted with freedom for the first time, they shrink away, fearing what they don't know more than the abusive situation which they do. When they're ready to be free, they walk out and experience an entire new world, rediscovering their identity in the process. So, while each of us have contracts with our parents, this doesn't mean we're meant to suffer or can't choose how we fulfill them. Often, by the time we're adults, the contract between ourselves and our parents is complete. They have parented us, given us what tools they can, pushed us into learning the lessons we're here to learn, and everything else is optional. This means we as adults have the right and the responsibility to choose how we interact with them. We aren't obligated to do so. We don't have a duty which requires it. Rather, we are called to honor them and ourselves by choosing how or if to do so, and in what way provides the best result for everyone. And that's all the time we have this week. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting it by subscribing on Patreon. You can see all my other offerings and get regular updates about what I'm working on at patreon.com slash Thanks. Bye.